times of distress. So, we are very familiar with distress. We've lived through 2020. We are survivors of 2020. And who knows what the upcoming year will hold for us and the years to follow. And I've got to ask you, how do you think uh, the people in this world uh, dealt with the distress of the virus, with the stress of the lockdown? Where were people turning to? Well, we know streaming companies, Netflix, Hulu, they made a big profit. Everyone's watching TV, trying to escape the reality of this world. Pornography, the website Pornhub, there's an all-time high in viewership during this time. People resorting to Food, food as their source of comfort. We will find anything and everything in this life to escape that, that feeling of, of discomfort, of, of the, the feeling of distress in our lives. Because as human beings, we, we, don't, we don't like it. It is, it is just innate in us to move away from those emotions and live in comfort. And we're going to see in this chapter today where the, the psalmist was identified as King David where he will turn to in his times of distress. Chapter 3 will be one of many, many psalms which we will consider and label as lament psalms. Psalms of lament. Now, what are psalms of lament? These are psalms that deal with the anguish of the human heart. Crying out in pain and in suffering and laying it before God Almighty. And when you know and when you see that actually majority of the psalms in the book of Psalms are lament psalms, you see that, man, like, there is no escaping suffering. We can't escape it in this life. It is just a crude reality for us. No matter where you run, somehow, some way, suffering will knock at your door. And it will feel at times it just kicks in uninvited. And your life is turned upside down. Have you ever guys felt like the walls around you are caving in and you feel suffocated? You have that sick stomach in your gut. You just can't get rid of it. Like it is so deep in you, you feel it physically in your gut. You may be middle of an emotional or physical crisis. 
But I got to be honest with you, they both go hand in hand. When you are suffering emotionally, it will take its toll on you physically. If you are suffering depression and anxiety or suffering or fear for over a period of time, your immune system will deteriorate. And so doctors, they say the biggest reason why they have uh, people coming into the hospitals is stress-related. Stress, the number one killer. And it works vice versa. You are struggling with the physical crisis. Let's say you got the news that you have uh, stage 3 cancer. You do not think that's going to uh, hit you emotionally? That it's going to affect the way you think and talk and interact with other people and how you see life? We are so fragile as human beings. So if you are young and you're a teenager, you have this invincibility complex. You have not lived life long enough. Life has not beat you up enough for you to realize that life is fragile. And stress is right there around the corner. And you will have to deal with it at one point in your life. At many points in your life. David was no exception. This king, who was a man after God's own heart, knew turmoil, knew distress and suffering very well. Maybe more than any of us in this room. Let us read what the psalm says. Not even verse 1, the introduction the psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now we do have to uh, add a little context here. So who's Absalom? Well, it says his son. Why is he running away from his own son? Well, Absalom is the third son of David's wife, Michal. David had many wives. Not as many wives as his son Solomon. But David, that was his weakness as well. His weakness was women. And so he had multiple wives. And Michal was one of his wives. And Absalom was the third son. Well, <clears throat> David had another wife, Ahinoam. This was his second wife. And Ahinoam bore a son named Amnon. And uh, Amnon, so he's the half-brother of Absalom. There was a conflict between them two. Why? Because Absalom had a sister named Tamar. And so Absalom and Tamar, siblings of their mom, Makkah, and then the half-brother, Amnon. Now what happens 
when you read 2 Samuel chapter 13, is that Amnon falls in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And he lusts after her, which leads to him actually raping her, taking away her virginity. He does not kill her, but he sends her away in disgrace. And of course, any loving brother would be infuriated by this. And so, Absalom set in his heart to take revenge on his half-brother, Amnon. And he was brewing up a scheme for actually two years, that's a long time, of how to go about killing his half-brother. And so what he does very godfatherish, Italian mafia. He sets up a party. He sets up a party and brings him in, invites him as his friend, gets him drunk, and then has his men kill him. And so Am, uh, Amnon, his half-brother, is killed by the hand of his son Absalom. Well, he knows, Absalom knows, that this will not go well with his father David. And so what does he do? He flees. He leaves Jerusalem and flees to a place called Geshur. While he is there, David is, is mourning for the death of his son, Amnon, but at the same time, desiring for his son, Absalom, to come back. Talk about a heart of a father. He still loves his son, Absalom. Talk to any parent. It is impossible to like compare that level of love with anything else. So after three years, by the request of David, Absalom is allowed to return. And Absalom is reunited with his father. To the point where David even kisses Absalom. To demonstrate, I have forgiven you, and you are part of my kingdom. But then you get to chapter 14 of that same book, 2 Samuel, Absalom, after three or four years in the kingdom, conspires against his father. He received forgiveness and mercy from his loving father. But yet, he repays his father by wanting to kill him. Why? Well, he, he is growing in stature. He was not only good to look at, the Bible says he was very handsome in appearance, but he was winning the favor of the people. And so that began to fill his head, and he said, hey, maybe I can make a better king. And so he actually, he uh, gathers to himself men who will fight alongside him and to overthrow King David. 
And so upon hearing this, David flees. He leaves his throne and runs away for his life from, you know, from Jerusalem. He's fleeing from his son, the one he gave birth to. Now what is interesting is that this happened before David running for his life. You guys remember in his younger years, who sought his life? Saul. Remember King Saul, the previous king. David was young and he was winning the favor of the people. And the jealousy was brewing in, in the heart of Saul and he went out to kill King David. And Absalom is kind of doing the same thing. History is repeating itself. The only difference, though, is that this turmoil is unique in that it is self-inflicted. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me take you guys back. Do you guys remember when David slept with Bathsheba, another man's wife? And not just any man, a close confidant of David. Uriah. Uriah was one of of David's mighty men, as the Word of God says. 30 men that David surrounded himself with, that they would fight with him. Skilled warriors. And they would fight with him on the battlefield. Brothers in arms. So it wasn't just any guy's wife. Talk about betrayal. So we know, we know that story. Sleeps with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He panics, tries to cover it up. So he brings in Uriah from a battlefield and, and tries to get him to sleep with Bathsheba so that when the baby comes out, he will not be all the wiser that it was his. It's like, oh, that's your baby. It fits the timeline. But Uriah was a faithful man, was a man of integrity. He would not sleep with his wife, knowing that his fellow men were in the battlefield. He would not even enter his house. He slept outside. Uriah was a man of integrity. And it's because David could not break this man's integrity. He goes to the next sin, okay? After adultery, he moves to murder. He sends Uriah out into the, fear of, uh, the battlefield where it's the fiercest fighting, where it's the harshest fighting, so that he would die, which he did. So when that happened, I'm sure David thought, okay, all is good. I'm in the clear. One fact about life. You can hide things. You can fool man. You can fool me. You can fool your parents, your spouse, your children, your friends. You can fool anyone. You can be the greatest actor in the world. But you cannot fool God. There is nothing that is hidden in the sight of God. He not only knows what you do, He sees the intent of your actions. He looks right into your heart. 
And so God sent a prophet Nathan to confront him. And this is what the word of God says. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me read for you guys verses 9 through 12. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up evil against you in your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and, and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David's sin was forgiven. God forgave David's sin. Thank the Lord for God's grace and mercy and his great capacity to forgive. However, though his sins were forgiven, David had to pay for the consequences of his sin, which was a grave sin. He had to pay for the consequences. And that's true for us even today. God will forgive us of any and every sin on God's green earth. But you have to understand something. There will come consequences. You are a long-time drug addict. God will forgive you. But you will feel the lasting effects of it. Loss of job, broken marriage, bondage of, of addiction. We have to be careful how we live in this life. How we walk. Because again, though our sins will be washed away White as snow, though our sins were as scarlet. On this earth, we will reap the consequences of our actions. And so God was judging and cursing David. I will bring that sword on your household. So Absalom was a manifestation of God's curse on David. The sword will never leave David's household. So Absalom was the result of his sin. Now what is interesting is that even Absalom does what God says. Absalom took David's concubines and slept with them. In front of all of Israel, the Lord declares. God's word came to fruition. So, though this distress may have been self-inflicted, it still doesn't take away from the fact that we will go through life, whether it's self-inflicted or not. 
because we all live in a fallen world. So whether it is a result of your folly or the very fact that you walk in this depraved world, you will suffer. Either way, take your pick. And so, David, while he is running for his life, probably realizing, oh my goodness, this is because of my sin. He writes this song of lament. So let's read chapter one, verse one of, verse, of chapter three. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Notice how the song starts off. What are the first two words? O oh Lord. He is starting his song by talking to God. O oh Lord. He is praying to God. In times of distress, where should we turn? You know, in an age of uh, social media, it's, uh, it's very interesting how people vent and they, they talk about their problems. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I think a lot of people very comfortable going on Twitter or Instagram, sharing their, pouring out their heart, venting, and maybe even talking to other people about God. But how many of them actually talk to God? We are so good at talking to other people because that's natural. But David understood something here. There's limitations to when you, when you are talking to other people who can only help you so far. He's going to the ultimate source of help. He's going directly to God Almighty. And so how the psalm starts off is so crucial. In times of distress, Turn to God. And may the first words that come out of your mouth in reaction to your distress be, Oh Lord, fall on your knees and cry out to God. Oh Lord, I'm going to tell you, save yourself the trouble of going deeper and deeper and deeper into your distress, into your pain, and finding no help. I mean, God will save you at any time, but why don't you just start at the very beginning? If you are wise, He will not be your last resort, He will be your first. A lot of people, they use God as the last resort. But by that time, 
It's like a little cut that grew into an infection that spread to the whole body. Be wise and turn to the Lord first. Oh, Lord. And what is he doing? He lays out his problem before God. How many are my foes? They are rising. Many are rising against me. He is telling God his situation. When you come before the Lord in your problem, lay your problems at his feet. Lay your problems at his feet. Because he hears you. Our God is never too busy for you. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Many are saying, why am I trusting in you? There is no salvation for those who are in God. But David knows better. He knows otherwise. And verse 3, but you, but you, O Lord. Now this is where it gets interesting. And this is why scholars have are debated and have issue on labeling this chapter a lament song. Because though it starts off as a lament, it's short-lived. It's only two verses. Two verses of lament, and then the rest of the verses, up to uh, verse 8, it's, it's a, a psalm of praise and a psalm of recognizing who God is. And so this is a unique lament psalm in that it, it is... The lament is so short, could it be even considered one? Because the tone quickly switches. But you, oh God, but you, oh God. So David sees what's happening horizontally. He sees his issue. He's recognizing the problem. But what he does, then he quickly then turns it and gives it to God. He said, but you, God. But you, I think the greatest words put together in the Holy Bible. We will struggle in this life. God is always there with us. Look to God. Recognize who God is. Samuel Rutherford, a 15th century Scottish pastor and Puritan, he said this, the secret formula of the saints, when I am in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wine. When you are in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of distress, when you are crippled with fear and anxiety, Turn to God quickly. Give that to the Lord immediately. Give it to God. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. He's saying that. You are the lifter of my head. You give me strength. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. 
I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now what he is doing here is not only giving praise to God, but he is recognizing his faithfulness. David remembers, hey, I was here before. This situation seems so familiar to me. It was not my son, Absalom, it was Saul. But when Saul chased after me, sought after my life, God sustained me. I am alive today. I am not killed by the sword of Saul because God was faithful to me. May we acknowledge God's faithfulness. Anytime life is uncertain, just say, God, you are faithful. You have always been faithful. And you have been faithful to me in my life. We can trust God because of his track record. He is the faithful and true. And David understood and recognized this. For those of you guys who have walked with God many years, take a look back. Review your life. And see all the moments in your life where you know in hindsight was a God moment. But at, at that time, you didn't see it. But it's clear as you look back. Like, man, that was God. Man, God is so faithful. Remember all the, the victories that you had in, in Christ. God has never let you down. And for those of us who are new to the faith, I haven't had the interaction and experience with the Lord. Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God and know His nature. That He is a God that never fails. Everything in this world will fail you. But God never fails you. He is always faithful. That is His character. That is His nature. And He pours that upon His children. And if you look to Him, he will show you his faithfulness. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. When you immediately turn to the faithfulness of God, keep your eyes on God, you know what happens? Fear actually begins to leave. When it rained in, your, in, the, in the innermost chamber of your brain and in your heart, it is quickly moved away by the supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why can he say this? Because he recognizes. Because you, O oh Lord, are my shield. You are my glory and the lifter of my head.
That is the only reason why he can say with certainty, I will not be afraid. It's like little children. Through the pandemic, 2020, you know that Nathan and Jordan never lost an ounce of sleep? Never. They didn't worry about it at all. They didn't lose an ounce of sleep. Why? They understood, you know what? Like, their mind is filled with cartoons and, and fun stuff, but also that their mommy and daddy well, is there for them. That they're protected. They're not thinking, oh my gosh, what if my parents get sick and then we have to fend for ourselves? That does not cross their mind. And our God is asking us to have that childlike faith. Don't lose sleep over the things that the world loses sleep over. You have a good father watching over you who's taking care of you and who takes better care of you than any earthly father and mother. So that you can sleep like a baby, like my boys, having full trust in the Almighty God. So I will not be afraid of them who have set themselves against me all around. And then, we get to verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. The petition now comes. Notice David saves the, the petition for, at the end. He lays out the problem, but then recognizes quickly where he must turn and acknowledges the character of God recognizes the track record of God, His faithfulness, and then because our God is faithful and true, then He is now able to lay His petition in confidence, in confidence. Would you ever ask a favor of someone you didn't trust? You wouldn't. Like if you knew someone was late nine times out of ten times, it's like, hey, you wouldn't trust that guy to host an event for you. You want someone who has a good track record, always on time, always punctual. You want that guy or that person, gal, hosting whatever thing, you know, your event. Same thing. You can trust God. And a lot of times, why we are still in the mess we are in, as Jesus said, you don't have because you don't ask. But not only that, asking with the heart of persistence. We give up too easily. After two days, ah, whatever. If it meant that deep for you, you, you wouldn't mind praying for 20, 30 years. 
says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Paul, uh, David recognizes something here. He cannot save himself. He cannot save himself. These are beautiful words to God. When his children look to him and say, Save me, O God. I can't do it on my own. I have tried the self-reliance thing. I have tried the self-medication thing. It was, it's not working, God. You are my only hope. It is that, at that point where you recognize that He is your only lifeline, where He will stand up. He will move heaven and earth to give you that answer prayer. To show you just how great and mighty He is. He's going to show you. Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, maker of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? Oh Lord, save me. It's just that so many people, even those in the church, have not come to this place in their life yet where they are completely broken where they have nowhere else to turn but up. They are still fighting on their own resilience. They still have enough fuel in their own tank. They're like, God, okay, just be right there. Be my wingman. Just in case I fall, they're not there yet. There may be times when you will be utterly crushed and floored to the ground. Maybe that's where God wants you to be. It's that all you see is that single lifeline. That single lifesaver, which is God. He says, for you strike all your enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now, that's very interesting language here. What we have to recognize is that uh, that is uh, military language used in ancient times. And it's pretty much all of this is just a poetic language for you will conquer your enemies. And this language is actually tied to, 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 to the military. So it's a military term as well. Saying that with you, you, God, will conquer any problem that I have. So maybe some of you guys have the perfect life right now. No problem. But there are venture to guess that most of us sitting here today are in the middle of crisis. Maybe a small crisis, could be a big one, but crisis nonetheless. You cannot overcome them on your own. 
cry out to God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be be on your people. So remember, in verse 2, he's saying, the people are telling me there's no salvation for those who are uh, in God. There's no salvation for, for him in God. But then he ends the psalm by saying, no, no, that's not true. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Because salvation belongs to God, you get a right at that salvation. He will pour out that salvation upon you. Now, when, when that word salvation, you see that word here, it's not talking about just justification. It's talking about victory. And your blessing be on your people. For those who are in Christ, for those who are hidden in the body of Christ, we are in Christ very blessed people. It doesn't mean that we will have perfect lives. God actually promises more persecution. God is always watching over us. And He pours out His comfort, His peace, His rest. And then, the more you walk with God, and the more you walk in this life, you recognize something. That God is ever-present with you. He is always with you. He has always been with you. Acknowledge God's presence, even more so in your times of distress. So I ask you, I challenge you guys. In times of distress, where will you turn? I pray like David here. Quickly, turning to the Lord, laying down his struggles, his burdens, unto the one who is able to carry them. For the salvation belongs to our God.